Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast from the Blue Earth Summit, a movement and community driving positive action for our natural world. In this series, we'll bring you some of the highlight talks and conversations from our first summit in Bristol in October 2021. In this episode, greenwashing and grey areas. With consumers demanding more and society on the search for solutions to the biggest environmental issues, seemingly every brand is flexing their green credentials. But scratch the surface and it's easy to come away feeling confused and often disappointed. We've all been victims of greenwashing. It's a sophisticated problem which more often than not we're blind to. And why wouldn't we be? Why not trust what we're being told? Aren't all companies trying to do the right thing? In the race to be the most ethical or sustainable brand, not only consumers but the planet could be left behind. For this panel, Lucy Siegel was joined by Krista Busnia, Head of Marketing at Carbon Reduction Pioneers Ecology, James Kafari, Director of Growth and Product at B-Lab UK, who were responsible for growing the B Corp community, Joss Ford, Founder of Ethical Marketing Agency Enviral, and Stefan Berm, Professor of Organisation and Sustainability at the University of Exeter. We'll start with you, Joss, down here at the end. Joss Ford, who is the founder of Enviral. Um, How much of an issue do you think Greenwash is? And do you think it's across all industries? That's a, that's a big question, isn't it? No, they're all going to be big questions. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because I don't think it is a good versus bad situation anymore. Like all businesses are doing something. Um, and it's ultimately getting harder and harder to spot greenwash. Let's be honest. Um, us marketing agencies are doing pretty good jobs at making content and doing strategic campaigns, which could feel like, you know what, they're doing something, doing something really important. And um, sometimes, often, um, that's not the case. You know, they're hyperinflating their environmental and social credentials to make themselves look good. And, um, and ultimately, I think brands of all industries um, are trying to stay relevant. And um, that relevancy is um, causing, you know, a situation which is, confusing not just audiences and potential customers but also their own employees and I'm a big believer that sustainability starts internally and, uh, and one of the main questions that we have with a lot of our clients or even prospective clients in in conversations is you know do your employees actually know what you're doing and um, and when you start to speak to different audiences internally in companies they don't um, and it is a confusing situation. So, yeah, I do believe in lots of different industries it is a problem. And I think it's really hard to spot. So do they know what they're doing in terms of the, ca- the individual campaigns? Or do they know what they're doing in terms of the overall business? They presumably know what the business is. Look, sustainability can, shouldn't just be a campaign, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it has to be a full company-wide initiative. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at um, sustainability initiatives, whether that's B Corp, whether it's, uh, you know, tracing your, 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 your carbon emissions, people think of it as a project, as, as something as a bit of a bolt on to the company. Yeah. And, um, and ultimately, it's not the core DNA of an organization. And that leads to confusion. Yeah. Um, okay, get it. This is really good because immediately we're now zoning in on, on um, some of the, the origins of, the, of, of greenwash, essentially, like how it happens. Um, Stefan, I want to come to you as an academic. <laughs> and, uh, what, what is greenwash? How would you describe it? And what, are, what would be the impact of it? Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say that we are all 
culprits, we all do greenwashing on a daily basis, you know, whether we want it or not. Um, you know, I live in rural Cornwall, although I might not sound Cornish, uh, I, I do. Um, and, you know, I talk about climate change, just published a book on climate change. You know, I'm very outspoken about climate change. I wear green T-shirts and, and, and all the rest of it. But I drive a diesel-powered car, right? Because there are not, they're not many options in rural Cornwall to, to get around. But, you know, it's a form of greenwashing. And in marketing theory, there's, there's something called attitude-behavior gap, Right? So we have an attitude, we want to be green, we want to do the right thing, um, and we talk green, you know, whether you're a CEO or, or an employee or, or, you know, an ordinary citizen like myself, but then our behavior on a daily basis might be completely different, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's, a real, that's a real problem. Um, because, you know, we, we, we want to do the right thing, but sometimes the system, in quotation marks, <laughs> stops us from doing the right thing. So greenwash is kind of a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a gray area. <laughs> as a, because, you know, it's, um, it's difficult to define it because it, it, it really happens uh, everywhere. And it's, it's something to do with this attitude, behavior gap. You know, we, you want to do the right thing. You say you want to do the right thing, have certain aspirations, but then you can't sort of quite fulfill these aspirations. You can't sort of quite get there. And that's a form of greenwash, sort of, you know, a soft one. A very hard one, I would say, is, you know, when you are really lying to people. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot going on there as well. You know, there's, there's simply... Uh, a, a, there's simply a lot of lies out there in, in, in the world of branding and, and, and marketing and has been for a long time. Because, you know, why are companies so eager to, to do the right thing and be good, good citizens, to do good as, as it were? Well, because, you know, they, they need to be in touch with what people want and they need to be in touch with, with society, right? Everyone talking about climate change in the previous panel we talk about Germany, you know, the floods kind of, you know, made climate change the number one mm. uh, political issue in the recent general election there, uh, you know, would have been unthinkable 10, 20 years ago, right? Mm. Um, so if you're a big company, whether that's, you know, a car maker like VW, uh, you know, who was involved in a dieselgate scandal just, just five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, you know, you have to talk the right talk around climate change. You can't not talk about climate change. You have to have a policy because if you don't, then you don't exist anymore. You can't sell cars, right? So that, that is the, the, the fundamental uh, purpose of marketing, right? To be in touch with, with your base, with your customers. Well, and if you don't talk about it, what, you get cancelled or something? Well, you get cancelled uh, in, in, you know, it, I mean... Doing business is a kind of a attention sport, right? You, you need to be constantly uh, getting the attention of the wider public, right? So you, you constantly have to talk the talk of the wider public. If everybody talks about climate change, you have to talk about climate change as well. Very, very interesting. Krista, do you recognize elements of this? And how, how much of a problem do you find greenwash? 
Yeah, there's there's so much to uh, unravel in this, and it's well, it's uh, a sophisticated. Problem, it is a sophisticated problem for sure. And uh, you know, at Ecology, in just two year two years, we've accumulated about seven thousand businesses that work with us, um, and uh, they fund uh, climate solutions through our platform and uh, reforestation. And a lot of the time, this is part of you know, bigger, bigger sustainability projects that they have. Some businesses have big sustainability team that can do the due diligence. Others are smaller and just want to get started. Um, and for us, we just work our way through guiding them to the right tools so that they can navigate this, this space for us. So um, we do that by making sure that we onboard everyone and we have business packs where we literally go through terminology in terms of what's okay to say and what's not okay to say. Uh, we often find ourselves proofing press releases um, because we feel that, you know, small brands um, should be protected in many ways, you know, because they don't have the knowledge. They don't have teams of 10, 20 sustainability experts that can advise on different arenas. So for us, we, we, we take, we, we stay in that space and we try and uh, put together terminology spaces where people can find out more about what language they can use uh, and what are the do's and don'ts. And um, I think there's a lot of passion and a lot of enthusiasm. Most businesses nowadays have individuals that do want to uh, take action. They do want, and there's there's a lot of a, there's a big push towards senior management to do something. That enthusiasm exists there. It's just about how do you navigate that world. And in terms of like specific tips that I would give is trying to focus on being, you know, specific as opposed to being general. So, you know, instead of saying we're carbon neutral, uh, you know, we have achieved carbon neutrality by, um, you know, offsetting the emissions related to our uh, energy consumption and being very specific about that. And also trying to be transparent as opposed to, um, you know, being superficial. So, you know, um, at Ecology, we, um, we, we actually have uh, an impact ledger where every single project funded by our entire community, be it reforestation or climate solution, it's visible and you can track the, you can see the receipt, uh, you can track it to its source, you can see the carbon certificate um, and, 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 and you find all the details that you want. Um, so the, these things are important and these are tools for businesses to, to, to not fall down those rabbit holes and uh, find themselves in a situation where they're critiqued when actually they, they just, just want to get started. Okay, thank you so much for that. There's so much good advice in there as well. That's brilliant, really useful. Um, James, where, where do you stand on, on greenwash? How prevalent do you think it is? And is there a danger now that, um, that terms like climate neutral, are they almost in danger of needing to be retired because everyone just thinks, oh, that's just greenwash? Yeah, I mean, one of the things maybe I want to start with is, is a slight positive, if I can. So I think the reason why we are having this conversation and why we think that greenwash is, is prevalent now is because the idea of sustainability and of businesses having a purpose greater than just driving value for, share, for shareholders has become mainstream. You know, businesses, the business case has been, you know, won, or at least people are understanding that the status quo can't go on anymore. And so... You know, you look at employees, there's a generational shift in people who are joining the workforce. They want to see their values reflected in their business. Investors, increasingly, uh, whether it's equity or debt, they are, you know, they are wanting to see companies actually making progress against these things. And then I think we talked a little bit about customers as well and 
people wanting to be more being more loyal um, when they actually re like when they believe that a company is kind of meeting their values. And so there is a positive there. Obviously, the negative of that is that the stakes are higher and companies therefore are more likely to potentially want to go out and kind of make misleading claims or vague claims that could be obviously um, shown as, as, as greenwashing. And I think one of the kind of key things that, that I'd like to pick up with, with Krista's point is around why it's a sophisticated problem. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, what, I mean, it's a really good point is that, yes, there are those companies that are out there and they're just kind of wantonly lying, as, as Stefan said. But there are those companies that maybe are a little bit smaller, a little bit more resource kind of strapped, and they're, they're potentially even victims of greenwashing themselves because in, you know, within their own belief system when they're running their business, they think, I really want to run it in this way that is not you know, creating negative impacts for society or the environment. But maybe they don't have time to you know, invest in really understanding it, really kind of understanding what are the different frameworks. Does this framework better than this framework? Is this offset you know, certified and stuff like that. And so obviously there's a big role for other companies uh, to kind of step in and, and actually help educate mm. either, well, the, first the public, but then people who own businesses as well as to saying, we understand where you're coming from. We can see your mindset, which is obviously the, the highest level uh, of importance. Here's kind of how we guide you through that kind of slightly complex and, and, and vague landscape. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, I think all greenwash is not as it is not equal so some is more washy than others just if, if we're talking about um what to do about it so we say there's a problem so you know something that's mentioned quite a lot now um especially in the fashion industry around fast fashion where i would say greenwash is is prevalent a lot of the times people bring up the fact oh france has brought in a law against it do you think that seems um that kind of legislative response would be useful or how would you see that working? It's, it's a really interesting one. So the, the Green Claims Code has just been released. Um, and basically they've said that we've got until January or companies have got until January to sort their act out. And, and that's in the UK. That's in the UK. Yeah. And do you remember when like the whole GDPR thing yeah. came about? Yeah. Businesses were like, oh, holy shit, we need to get going on this. There is no urgency for it. I'm not seeing any urgency for the Green Claims Code. And... Yeah. Um, and Do you actually get an email or a letter saying it's coming in or is I, it just filtered through the... I think industry? I spotted it in, you know, the surfing the internet, basically. Um, but, um, uh, you know, look, we are at the front line as a communications agency and uh, the majority of uh, communications agencies want to be working with brands that do good because they've got brilliant stories to tell. And, um, uh, you know, I think that a lot of... Uh, marketing agencies are seeing that there's a competitive advantage space in promoting organizations' social and environmental credentials. Therefore, they're implementing it into campaigns because it's getting results, whether it's you know, views or sales or website clips, or whatever it might be. And, um, and ultimately, the advertisement and PR industry have got a huge role to play. In fact, we've got like the number one role to play. Um, same with the media. I think the media um, should have been calling out greenwash um, rather than allowing advertisement just to, to happen in newspapers, et cetera, for the last uh, X amount of years. Um, and back in 2019, XR basically um, came to the marketing communications world and said, hey, we haven't forgotten about you. You know, you guys are ultimately the, the front line of communicating and, and 
ultimately a lot of it's fake news, you know. And there are a number of different, you know, modes of greenwash. And, um, and in that, you know, what was really interesting about tools and, and, and being basically accountable for, for greenwash and spotting it and, um, and understanding if it's good or bad, the communications that you're putting out, the world of disclosure. So a, a client disclosure agreement policy was put into the marketing agency world, um, headed up by a lot of purpose driven agencies of which, you know, we've signed for the last two years. We, we ex- disclose where our revenue comes from in terms of industries. And if we've got any, um, kind of sketchy campaigns that we've worked on, it, it gives us the opportunity to also say, Hey, you know what? We put out a piece of content and we think we got it wrong. And, um, there's none of that at the moment. That's a thing that we decide to do because we're an ethical communications agent. Can you give us an example? Of, of what? Of a piece of content that you put out and later said we got that wrong. So we, we haven't actually done that yet. Um, it, interestingly, we are working on a project at the moment and um, it took us two weeks to say, should we work on this or shouldn't we? Worth noting, from a communications perspective, we have a series of tools that we um, have on our website that we encourage all agencies to use. It's called a at-what-cost checker. And, uh, and that basically gives a framework for us to consider if a brief is worth working on or not. And we turn down way more brands than we work with, not just from an ethical perspective, although that makes up a, a good amount of the, 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 the pieces of work we turn down, but you know, for, from an uh, infrastructure and uh, resource perspective as well. But um, uh, you know, this specific project that we're working on at the moment is for a scale company, and they are putting honesty at the core of this campaign. And we quickly realized that actually the impact that we can have working on this specific project, um, even though, you know, we, we, we had a number of people in the company, you know, say, look, we want to work on this, but only if there are specific um, pieces put into the contract to say that if we're not happy with it, we can pull out, which we've done. And, um, and I think we're doing a good job, but we haven't released it yet. And, and ultimately, we would be the first to uh, disclose if it was something that we did wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it, it's interesting because the F list was a, a thing that got released two weeks ago where 90 advertisement and PR companies were called out for working with fossil fuel companies. And that took an activism organization to call that out. There's no legal factor. You could be... Uh, the best company in the world in terms of an agency and, and being ethical and have all the cred- credentials, but you can still work with organizations which are funding the fossil fuel um, uh, world. And uh, yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. I'd like to see how the Green Codes claim goes, but at the moment I'm a bit skeptical. Mm, okay, thank you for that and for your um, honesty as well, because I'm just wondering, so um, Stefan, a couple of, a couple of points um, from that. We are not well. How good are we? If so, so say a company um, does as just describes and has to come out and say, actually, we shouldn't have worked on that. We shouldn't have done that campaign after the event. How responsive is society to those sorts of um, mea culpa apologies? Um, are we good at dealing with those? I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, m- most of us will remember VW being involved in the Diesel Gate scandal and 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 since then they've kind of really invested a lot in electric car technologies and you know rebranding themselves as you know the the, the new tesla etc 
and and now we've just forgotten about it. I mean, it's incredible how short our memory is. Um, but I, I'd like to step back for a little bit, if I may, yeah. because I think, you know, what we're talking about here is really about CSR, corporate social responsibility, mm -hmm. the, the idea that companies should be socially and environmentally responsible. And we've seen a huge rise of that over the last 30 years. I'm, I'm old enough to remember that, you know, we've been talking about climate change and, and, and also the ecological biodiversity um, emergency, really, for 30 years, mm. right? Uh, how many of you remember the Rio Earth Summit in the early 1990s, right? Since the early 1990s, climate change in particular has been talked about at the highest possible governmental level. 30 years, 30 years, right? And here, 30 years later, we're still sitting talking about the same stuff, right? Um, so I'm asking myself, like, okay, should we be honest here and kind of do a bit of a... Um, account of what has gone wrong in the last 30 years, you know, what has worked and what has not worked. Clearly, whatever we've tried has not worked full stop because the emissions curves show up north. Mm -hmm. The biodiversity loss and species loss curves show up north. You know, all the curves that you're looking at, you know, whether they've been interrupted slightly by COVID or, or the financial crisis over 10 years ago, doesn't really matter. They're all showing in the wrong direction, right? So when we step back and kind of, you know, what are we talking about? You know, you're making a living with helping companies to do the right thing. And, and that's great. That's really great. But I think we need, need to change tack, right? Do we really want to rely on individual companies to do the right thing? You know, COVID was a global crisis and is a global crisis, um, you know, did we invent COVID offsetting schemes for companies to do the right thing if they choose to do the right thing? No, we didn't, right? We didn't... Um, well, someone probably has, I mean. So, no, government stepped in and said, okay, this is a real emergency. We need to do something by tomorrow. And stuff happened very quickly. You know, some governments are better than others. You know, let's not talk about the details. But, you know, um, but, you know... At some stage, we need to ask ourselves, is climate change, is the environmental crisis in a real emergency or not? Are we allowing companies to basically voluntarily decide what is the right thing to do or not? Right? And I would be saying, well, for 30 years, we've been trying this voluntary approach. Right? I've studied climate policy for the last 20 years. Right? When the Kyoto Protocol came in, Everybody was clear, 1997 we're talking about, right? Everybody was clear, we need a really strict Kyoto Protocol, right? The US delegation came in very late and said, we need flexibility, we need carbon offsetting, we need, you know, we need to do this slowly, right? Nobody heard about carbon offsetting then, but the US delegation brought it in. And since then, we've talked about carbon offsetting, I'm sure there's some good schemes going on, but many of them are... Hopefully we can hear from Krista in a second, because it's important that she speaks as well. Yes, so, so I'll finish in a minute. But the point is, the point is um, this flexibility, voluntary approach has got us to where we are. I, you know, all the curves are still showing in the wrong direction. So I think we need to do better. We need to go beyond 
CSR approaches which invite greenwashing and other kind of um, responses because everybody's desperate to do the right thing, but often they don't know what's the right thing to do. And that's why we have governments to do the right thing and provide a level playing field for everyone to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, noted. Let's talk about carbon offsetting, Krista, and anything else that you'd like to Yes, I, I mean, I want to reflect on a little bit on what you just said because you're absolutely right. And I think, you know... We've been looking at governments for solutions for so many years now. And that is one example in the last year and a half. It took a global pandemic to see a unified, uh, you know, approach in terms of tackling this massive, uh, massive problem. We have COP next month. That's the next uh, huge opportunity that we have for, for those governments to come together and really tackle this issue. Um, that being said... There are still plenty other issues, global issues to be tackled. So from our point of view at Ecology, we we really believe in the power of individuals and uh, a lot of people coming together. We talk about collective action um, a lot. And here we are, a startup, uh, you know, two years down the line after, you know, three really passionate 30-year-olds came together and founded uh, founded this company. We now have over 47,000 people that have joined together in this movement and funded reforestation and funded over uh, 650,000 uh, tons of carbon reduction projects in just two years. Now, what we've done is... Um, we've actually mapped out, um, okay, how many people would it take joining this movement to, um, to um, you know, reverse climate change and reduce 50% of global emissions by 2040? And it's in the millions. Essentially, we look at companies and businesses like Spotify and all of these apps that we're using on a regular basis. And, you know, we're funding just with five pounds a month uh, these services that, you know, have changed change the way we listen to music and we watch movies. So why can't we have something similar to that where lots of people, um, you know, we round up essentially the pocket change of of the world and we invest it in climate solutions and decarbonizing uh, countries all over the world. And for us, we've we've mapped that out. We actually have a timeline as to how we're going to achieve 50% um, uh, global emission reductions by, uh, by 2040 and the community that it takes to to achieve that and we're building it now at the same time as doing that there's a huge focus on carbon reduction itself like we can't you know we can't keep doing uh, things the way we've been doing them and through ecology profiles you're able to see your forest you're able to fund climate solutions and see all the projects where your money is going into but you also have a, a section that says okay these are the sustainable behaviors that I'm going to implement in my life as an individual or family or a business our CEO Elliot was talking about this uh, new tool that we're, we're about to launch at the end of this year which essentially is a real-time footprinting calculator that can literally just plug into your financial accounting uh, system like Zero, that essentially tells you based on all of your suppliers this is your footprint these are your areas of impact this is where you need to focus in order to reduce your emissions so we need a lot of technology and a lot of tools to come together to provide um, ease and transparency and access to small businesses to be able to understand their footprint and take those take those changes, take those actions in order to focus on reduction. And we need collective action. We need a lot of people coming together one step at a time and educating each other and building from that point on. 
we see a lot of businesses, small businesses that literally just sign up and they're like, okay, I just want to get started. I'll, for my company of 10 people, I'll plant 12 trees every month and I'll fund one ton of CO2 reduction. And within that community, they spot another company that's partnered with us that, um, you know, uses, uh, that is essentially a web, um, web domain service that runs their entire server, server system on renewable energy. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know. I, you know, I, I have a, you know, web hosting service, but maybe I'll switch to you guys. And it's, it's a multiplier effect in the network of sharing information, access to knowledge, behavior change that then builds this army to, to help us achieve these goals. I think it will be people, individuals. I think counting on governments is, is not something that is as easy to do nowadays with all of the other challenges that we have in the world. Okay, thank you. Um, James, how optimistic are you feeling? Just in general? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm an, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person. You know, I had a positive earlier. So yes, I that's, just, you that's kind of my style. So saying that, you know, I did, I did want to kind of echo uh, Stefan's point uh, about, yeah, I mean, obviously government is there to help us solve complex challenges that rely on a lot of people to kind of uh, point in a d direction together. Um, but we, we can't always have the governments that we want. You know, outside of a general election, we have to kind of deal with the governments that we have. And so... In the absence of that, I think either as individuals, as um, I think Krista is, is talking about, we have to get organized and we have to kind of act in a way that aligns with our values. And it's better done in community because then you become greater than the sum of your parts. And I think I think that's that's something that, that, that I think about businesses as well. You know, it, and that's what makes me optimistic. I think if businesses get organized and they become you know they try to kind of build community then they can help not only they can kind of that can be mutually reinforcing because they have that network effect as, as christy you've said around you know you're telling your supply chain about it or your investors are telling you that that, that, that they're doing things in a certain way or you you know the, the the company that you're leasing the the building from is doing things in a certain way so you get those network effects to start to build a, a community out and you kind of have the infrastructure to start to help companies and help each other kind of come up with solutions. I mean, going back to the start and, and how we talked about why perhaps greenwashing is a sophisticated, I was going to say complex, but sophisticated problem is because some people don't want to be greenwashing, but they are because there are those businesses that are saying, you know, I've, I've started this in a way that I want to kind of really align with my values, but I don't know what to do. And so I think absent of regulation, the idea, the idea that we should be focusing on is getting organized and building community so that we can help kind of share challenges within that community and kind of co-create solutions that then, you know, you open source and everyone can, can use so that you demystify that, that vague and complex environment. Okay, Joss? So yeah, look, I, I, I completely um, mirror all of that. And I think continuous improvement is what, um, well, you know, B Corp is obviously very good at um, but there is a issue with the fact that purpose-driven organizations, of which there are a lot here and a lot in the circles that uh, we interact with, they are, in my opinion, occasionally getting very comfy with what they stand for. And they're not consistently looking at saying, I can do more. There's no purpose-driven growth mindset. And I think... Um, 
you know, community and having a bit of a, almost like a gateway drug to sustainability clearly has that level of consistent improvement. Oh, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And tools like um, B Corp are brilliant at aiding that. Um, but, but ultimately, um, we do need to be able to somehow benchmark and care about benchmarking. Let's be honest, who here has read a sustainability report in the last year? Two years? Do you read them weekly, monthly, yearly? Not, not for leisure. And, and benchmarking seems to be the situation where, you know, we are trying to do the, the right thing, but people are reporting on things that they're doing and forgetting about the things that they're not doing because they want to hyperinflate what they're doing. Well, that's, the, that's for me, what greenwash is. Exactly. One thing on, on this, and I think whether you're small or big uh, as a business, you know, there's so much work that goes into various different decarbonization ideas or, you know, some companies might have, um, might work really, really hard on finally announcing to the world, you know, going through the entire supply chain and saying we're now palm oil free or, uh, you know, going throughout and saying we're, you know, uh, we're now, we now switch to renewable through any renewable energy supplier or we've uh, decarbonized 50% of our, um, you know, scope one emissions. There's a lot of hard work, uh, you know, that goes into that. It's a really good point to make. But at the same time, um, you know, the world doesn't stop there. You know, if we look at the world of sustainability, there's so much underneath that umbrella. There are no absolute uh, answers. There's, you know, there's still so much work to be done for the long term. So instead of, um, you know, when announcements are being made, I think it's important to frame them as we've done this. We're really happy and excited about it. But we know it's not enough. So we're going to do more. Um, and we're not stopping here. We're really proud about this. We want to share it with the world, with our community, but we're going to do more. And framing it like that, um, you know, I think it protects protects uh, businesses from from the public, and it frames the story as you know, it's not the, the story is not stopping here. Yeah. Um, and there, I'm afraid we must leave it because we're out of time. Um, but thank you so much. I wish we had longer to Joss, to James, to Krista, and to Stefan. We hope that's inspired you and given you some proper actionable insight. Please look out for the next episode. And if you haven't signed up for the film versions, please visit the Blue Earth website at blueearthsummit.com. Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.